Hello, welcome, what's good? This is Danley and Friends, where I share empowering stories, encourage raw, open dialogue, and explore intriguing ideas to empower you to maximize your life. Coming to you from the heart of the heartland, Columbus, Ohio, I'm your host, Ryan Danley. Let's get to it. Those of you who listen to the podcast are pretty familiar with January 26th, 2019. It's the day that I was visiting friends in Bancroft, Canada, and I crashed a snowmobile into a dock that I didn't see on a frozen lake. The dock was covered in snow and it was unmarked. And that day was the last day that I walked. I'm in a wheelchair. I suffered a spinal cord injury at my C7 vertebrae. It's been a very interesting experience to minimize it uh, as much as I possibly could. But uh, recently I found a video or acquired a video of a speech that I gave when I was on medical leave regarding my accident and my mindset going through it. I find it very interesting because at first I was kind of afraid to listen to the video because this year was the first year that I didn't signify the date. I didn't post anything about it. I didn't share anything about it on social media. I didn't talk about it much outside of with Kelsey and just me wondering how I was going to feel that day. It's a day filled with lots of emotion because, well, partly because you get timelines from doctors that tell you, you know, what to expect when, and if something doesn't happen by a certain time frame, what not to expect. And the more time that passes, you can imagine the prognosis gets worse. And so, you know, mentally, it's kind of a, a tough thing as time passes by and you're not quite where you want to be. However, in many ways, I am exactly where I want to be. And so, as part of that, I kind of avoid or I don't even want to say compartmentalize um, because that implies that I don't deal with it. I deal with it. I definitely deal with it. But I think I've been able to shape my perspective about it in a way that uh, allows me not to identify with it as much and thus free myself mentally uh, to think about other things. Because, you know, it's, it is ever-present in the sense that uh, I'm always rolling around, right? You, you think about it. Uh, you know, I can't reach things. I'm, you know, I have terrain considerations. I have travel considerations. So it, it is ever-present. But uh, more and more, I feel as if my day-to-day struggles are just the things that I go through, similar to the struggles I met before. I mean, you always have ups and downs. I was sad before. Uh, I would trip over things before. I would drop things before. So uh, I try not to be too hard on myself and think that it's just because of my condition. I just try to think of uh, my new condition as 
the place that I come from, the place that I act from. And so I don't get as frustrated when I can't reach things. I'm just like, oh, that's just a thing that's out of reach. I have to either get a grabber or call someone or, you know, use my new set of tools that I have to solve this new problem. And it's getting easier, but it's still hard. You know, it was a big lifestyle change. It's a big, big change, again, to <laughs> put it as minimally as you could quite possibly put it. But in this video, I give a speech when I was on medical leave at Honda. I came back and I spoke at the Learning Summit. Not really important what that is. Big meeting of people where they talk about stuff. And they felt fondly enough about me, your boy, to invite me to speak. And I thought that was pretty cool. And so I came and I shared my perspective. And I was afraid to revisit it now because I didn't want to get back in that same mind state. You know, I was afraid to get back in that same place and start thinking about those same things that I did before. But I couldn't do that. I had to face it. I don't know. It's just something about going through the feelings. Something about working through it that is enticing to me. It seems to yield a better result on the other side. And so I listened. I watched the video. And though it reminded me of the place that I was before, in that it brought back vivid memories of things like being at the hospital and you know, situations I was involved in that I don't really think about very much anymore. It was beautiful because in it, I saw the seeds of the mindset that I have now. One of finding a way, making it work, making it the best that I can possibly make it. And so I wanted to share this message. I want to share the audio from this presentation because I think it gives some insight into where I was and how I got to the place that I am today. And hopefully it helps someone who may be in a dark place themselves, a place that they don't think that they can get out of. And even if you're not there, it's just a wild story. Your spinal cord does a lot in your body and the shit that happens after is crazy. Like it is wild when you get a spinal cord injury. So I find it interesting in that way. So here's the audio from a speech that I gave called View from the Porch. There are a couple spots where I play some video clips of me doing things and I describe them. And so it's still good. It still works in that regard. However, there's some music in the background that I play that gets a little loud. So I did as best as I could to mitigate the sound difference, but I do this all myself, man. I produce this, I edit, I record, I do this all by myself. I'm not a sound engineer. I've got a full-time job. I run a business with my wife and I have one properly functioning hand. I'm just out here doing my best and I hope that you are too. Enjoy. So I got invited to tell you a story and I call this story View from the Porch. That's me. Um, <laughs> when I was younger, I actually lived at my grandma's house with my mom. Um, it's a tiny little house, but we made it work. And uh, my favorite thing to do of all time was to go outside and play. Uh, hence the reason there's a picture of me outside. And so uh, I actually enjoyed playing so much 
that when I got in trouble, my punishment was I would have to stay on the porch. And so I had to watch all the other kids play, and man, it sucked. But I tell you what, that love of playing continued throughout my life, and uh, you know, I played on. Uh, January 4th, 2019, I turned 30 years old, and uh, life was going pretty well for me. Um, I had just moved back to Columbus not too long ago, um, and you know, I was getting settled in with my wife and everything, and it was a great time. Uh, my student loans had gotten into four figures, and I'm like, oh, there might be an end in sight. You know? <laughs> life, is, life is good. And uh, I had a bunch of trips set up, a bunch of weddings, destination weddings for my friends, and uh, DJ gigs, and it even planned a party called 30 Fest with my other friends who were turning 30, and 30 of us were gonna get together and you know have a good time on the weekend. Um, kind of in January, I moved from one cool new job to another cool new job. So I was a learning rep here at Honda and I was beginning the transition into uh, compliance and ethics. And so what my learning rep job allowed me to do was travel around and hang out with people like you at the different Honda locations as well as the different associates and had to teach them things. Well, I told you that I liked playing. I was going to play on my job too, so <laughs> I got to go to Canada uh, up at CH for uh, a couple trips and I connected with some buddies that I met up there. I uh, went up there for a music festival in Toronto a couple years back and so I was like, hey, what are you guys doing? You know, maybe I can get some dinner with you and they're like, you know, how about we like plan a weekend where you come in early and we hang out? I'm like, okay, let's do it. So I hung out with them and that's what these pictures are. Um, these are pictures from the cabin where we were riding ATVs and having a good time. Um, what there are pictures of was the second trip and perhaps the most significant trip of my life where I went snowmobiling with this same group of friends. Um, the reason that there are no pictures of the snowmobile are because uh, a wise man knows that you don't take your hand out of gloves in Canada in the wintertime. So, <laughs> um, we went up there, it was January 26th weekend um, the night before we got up on Friday and you know, hung out with our friends and we were having a jolly good time. Getting to know each other is you know, my wife's first time seeing a lot of these people and uh, we were riding snowmobiles. So at night time we were hanging out and I'm like, man, that was a great time. I want to do that again. Like, I'm going to stop drinking early. I'm going to get up early <laughs> and I'm going to get the first run on snowmobiles because that's what I want to do. So I woke up. It was about 9 o'clock. I had some eggs. I was feeling great. I was hydrated. I'm like, okay, let's do this. And so um, we go out, and my buddy has, uh, I think it's about 40 acres. They're trailed all through the woods, and there's a lake uh, near his property. So when you were on the lake, it was nothing but snow, right? So you could go and go and go, and it really didn't matter. And I was going and going and going until I saw something, and uh, it was getting a little bit too close to me, but I couldn't change direction. And at the last minute, I realized that there was a dock that was jutting out uh, from the land, and uh, I ran into it. And I kind of come back to you, and people run over to me, and they're like, are you okay, are you okay, what's going on? I'm like, oh, I think I'm okay, I'm just shook up, like, uh, I don't feel any pain, you know, I'm okay. And they're like, all right, well, let's go back to the cabin and get the day started, you know, might as well have some drinks. I'm like, let's do this. And I go to stand up, and nothing happens. Weird. Oh, come on, let's go. I'm going to stand up and nothing happens. 
what did I do? And so they called they called the paramedics and uh, we were actually so far in the paramedics had to be snowmobiled to me. They put me on a stretcher. Uh, six of my friends along with the paramedics walked me three quarters of a mile through the woods and then they put me in an ambulance where they took me to a place where a helicopter could land and then they flew me to the hospital. And uh, this whole time I'm wondering, you know, what did I do? What happened? All I knew at the time was uh, I had an injury. I had broke my neck. Uh, my spinal cord was crimped and it was, quote, blocking my nerve pathways. And that meant I couldn't move. I had a five-hour surgery where a guy cut open my lower head region, picked bone fragments out of my neck, uh, created a titanium fixture, and screwed that into the vertebrae of my neck. And I was like, okay, I'm supposed to be fixed now. You do all that, and I'm still not working. What is happening with my body? So here's a list of kind of what was happening. Uh, I was in a lot of pain. So when I first crashed, I didn't feel anything. I didn't feel any pain. But after uh, I had surgery, my neck, it was unbelievable. And when I was in the uh, recovery room, they gave me a morphine drip. And there's a button. And every five minutes, it would light up, and I could give myself another dose of morphine. And people would talk to me, and nurses would come, and they would say things to me. and. Uh, I didn't pay attention to anyone except this button. I would stare at it, and when it lit up, press. And that's all I could do. That's how much pain I was in. There's also so much nothing. I couldn't feel anything below my chest. Uh, people would touch my legs, and I would watch them touch my legs, and I wouldn't feel anything. I wouldn't register. I couldn't move. I was freezing cold all the time. It was the weirdest thing. I couldn't control my body temperature. So I was always under a pile of blankets. I was on all kinds of drugs. I was groggy and loopy the whole time. And uh, I was a 30-year-old man wearing a diaper. So that was tough. Um, I had some issues breathing, too. My diaphragm was compromised. And you know, if you get mucus in your throat, you cough it up, and you go about your day. Well, that didn't happen for me. I got some mucus in my throat, and I couldn't breathe because I couldn't cough because my diaphragm wasn't working. So I began to choke, and they called the respiratory team in, and they had to stick a tube in my nose. They usually do that when people are passed out, but they did it while I was wide awake. And they cleared out one side, and it didn't do the whole thing. And so I took it out, and I stuck it in my other nostril. <laughs> Bad as it hurt. We got it cleared out, and we were okay. But that's to give you an idea of what was happening with my body. I was in the hospital in Kingston for about two and a half weeks. I knew it was serious when my 78-year-old grandma showed up the next day from Washington, D.C. I was like, wow, my whole family's here. I must have gotten pretty messed up. Um, I had to do uh, what's called the chair activity every day because I wanted to begin you know, getting me upright as much as possible because that's what your body's designed to do, to be upright, you're not designed to be laying. So I had to sit in this chair every day for two hours. And uh, after 10 minutes, I was like, come on, let's go, get me out of this thing. Everything hurts. And uh, I had to do this every day. 
and that was brutal. But what was beautiful about it was those same friends that I went to go visit made a two and a half hour trip every day after work to come visit me. That's like driving from Columbus to Indianapolis every day after work. So there's some beauty in that. I want to come back to the USA as much as possible. I want to be back home. I was supposed to be gone for four days, and uh, I was gone for two and a half weeks at this point. I'm trying to figure out how do we get this guy home? We have to go through customs. Do we fly him, or you know, what do we drive? We ended up getting an ambulance that uh, ended up being a 10-hour drive, and I was strapped in to uh, essentially a thin piece of wood with seven hospital pillows over top of it, and I was wrapped up in like this thermal burrito thing. <laughs> and uh, I told you guys about the pain I was in. Well, they gave me medication before I left on this drive. Medication does not last for 10 hours. So that was a brutal drive, to say the least. However, we finally made it back. I got to the inpatient rehab at Ohio State, and I found out what was going on. I had a spinal cord injury. Your spinal cord is a, a part of your central nervous system. It's an extension of your brain, and it's the way you move. It sends those signals to every part of your body so you're able to function. Uh, mine had a lesion in it. And when you get a lesion in your spinal cord, uh, your neurons die, and you don't regenerate them very well. So a spinal cord injury is incurable. So when I talk to the doctors about you know, my prognosis, they're like, Oh, you know, some people recover fully, some people don't. So you may just be like this forever. Okay. Well, you know, I'm not going to sit back and take it. I'm going to start the road to recovery. Let's let's get back and do what we can. Um, you know, I have a list of things right here. That's everything that was impacted. And I won't go through it, but that's most things in your body. So I'm like, seriously, like, what is happening with my body? Because I'm starting to get some new things that are manifesting. Uh, proprioception is a fancy term for telling where your body is in space. You do it all the time. You know where your feet are when you take a step, or else you wouldn't be able to walk up the steps, right? Well, I couldn't tell where my legs were in space. They would feel like they were spread out, and then I'd look down at them and they were straight. I'd have one leg falling off the bed and I'd have no clue. Oh, gotta pick my leg up. So I had no clue where my body was in space. I started to get muscle spasms, which are these involuntary contractions. First they started out as little twitches, but I'll talk to you about those a little bit more. I started getting nauseous. I had to take medicine for it all the time. I was getting nerve pain. I was still having breathing issues. And one of the worst days of my life was, you know that feeling that you get a tickle when you have to sneeze? I had that for an entire day, like one whole day, but I, I couldn't sneeze because my breathing still wasn't strong enough. So all day I was, <sighs> it was about as annoying as this fly that comes So that was uh, an issue, but man, when I finally did sneeze, oh, it was so beautiful. <laughs> and uh, I started getting what's called autonomic dysreflexia which is a fancy term for uh, anything that is uncomfortable under the level of my injury, which is pretty high up on my spinal cord. Uh, 
typically you get a signal that goes back to your brain, lets you know, hey, this is painful, you know, do something about it, fix it. Well, I didn't really get that signal back. It just manifests in your blood pressure raising very highly, you start to sweat, and you get uncomfortable. Your body just freaks out because it doesn't know what to do. So that was another thing I was dealing with. And to show you kind of what shape I was in, Actually, tell you I didn't mute on it, so that would be the Thank you. So as you can see in the video, I have no core strength. This is me trying to get to the edge of the bed, something that I do every morning, right? You get to the edge of the bed, you hop out of bed, and you get your day going. But it's okay. It's not too bad. You see here, I fall over. I'm trying to pull myself forward. And that hand that's trying to pull myself forward, you see how much it's struggling? That's my right hand, that's my good hand. And that's the shape I was in when I was in And it was quite interesting because I was in pretty good shape at the time. Actually the best physical shape that I've been in my life. And so I get to occupational therapy and they're explaining to me that we're going to weight lift. And uh, my therapist, a nice lady named Stephanie, is holding this three pound weight. And she's you know, demonstrating the exercise that we're gonna do in the circuit. And uh, she then hands it to me. And I'm not like an arrogant guy by any means, but I kind of looked at the three pound weight. I looked at my arms, which are still big at the time. And I looked at her and she sensed that something was up. And she's like, I know. She's like, your nerves aren't firing in the same way. She's like, you're not gonna be able to lift this. I'm like, okay, like, give me the thing. And it felt like 100 pounds. It was unbelievable. But you persist. Every day was a, a grind. And this is kind of what it looked like. I had to work on fine motor skills, which meant picking up small objects. I stood on a tilt table, which weight bearing is good for spasticity, it's good for blood pressure, and also good exercise. Blood pressure went low, came back down. Had to figure out how to get from surfaces to other surfaces. And this is a, what's called an FES fund. It's functional electric stimulation. And what it does is, uh, through the power of electricity, it fires my muscles in succession to mimic me riding my back. The idea is that uh, through neuroplasticity, I can help me make some of those connections and gain some power. Left me tired. And yes, that is a three pound weight. I also worked on a lot of seated balance exercises. And at the time, I could barely reach across to pick up a bag. Again, treadmill therapy, which I'll explain a little bit later. Still found time to play. <laughs> play basketball, and this looks a little bit different, but it's still a good time, and it made me happy. But that was a daily grind. And so, daily life in the hospital itself wasn't much. I would come back, and I would sleep, and I eat hospital food, and that was about it. 
Except there's no such thing as resting in a hospital. Just to give you an idea of what it was like, uh, there was one period of time where I had an hour between sessions and I wanted to take a nap because I was tired. Well, I had seven visitors over the course of that hour. First, environmental came, then the nurses came, then research came, then linens came, and facilities. And then I don't know who came because then it became Knox. And I was just like, you know what? Just leave the door open. You guys come in, go as you please, whatever. I'm closing my eyes. And that's how every day was. But I look forward to the weekends. That's when my friends and my family came to visit. I was fortunate enough to have 73 people visit me when I was in the hospital. 73. Some of them were in this room. It's wonderful. And after six long weeks and inpatient, it's time to go home. Again, after what was supposed to be a four-day trip, two months later, I go home. I had two wristbands because one had started to fade since I was in the hospital for so long. But I wore it like a badge of honor. But the only training that I got was me and my wife spent one night in what's called the ILA, the Independent Living Apartment. So that was one night of administering my meds on our own and you know, transferring and things on our own. And that did not prepare us for what home was going to be. Able to do. <laughs> so then I had another question. Why does home feel so different? The main reason is because Still in a wheelchair. I didn't know what a spinal cord injury was. I thought I had surgery and I'll be okay by the time I get back to Ohio. But you know, my time in the Canadian hospital came to an end. Still can't walk. My time in inpatient rehab came to an end. Still can't walk. I get home and get back to reality. Everything was different. I had to shower with a chair. The carpet that I loved to lay on before was now a major obstacle. Thick and plush, and pushing through that, it's like pushing through quicksand. I couldn't get in the house. My father-in-law had to build a ramp for me to get into my own house. At the same time, Kelsey had to work, we had appointments, we had therapy, we had to figure out how to have our daily life. It was brutal. Even my bed was different. It was a hospital bed. Kelsey and I slept I Love Lucy style, twin <laughs> beds, side by side. And this is my morning routine. Kelsey wakes me up. We go through range of motion exercises. I don't know if you guys have ever sat down for a long time, probably like you sat down over the course of the summit. After a couple of hours, you stand up, you're kind of stiff, right? Well, I sit down all the time. I've been sitting down for six months now, seven months. So you get stiff. So we go through these range of motion exercises. We have to do that every day. And eventually I come out from under my pile of blankets, get myself together, gather my legs, and I started the day. And that's how home was. And there's still things going on. What is happening with my body? I started fainting. First shower we get home. Kelsey and I are trying to figure out this new life, and uh, I pass out in the shower. And I come back to, and she is bawling. I have no clue why. She hasn't cried the whole time I'm in the hospital. She's been super strong, and she's bawling. And she's like, you passed out, you passed out. And to me, it felt like nothing happened. But I was out for a couple minutes. 
there she is, with a naked me, wet, holding <laughs> me, trying to figure out what to do with me, with my lifeless body, you know? Um, so there's that. I started getting cold sweats. So I told you about autonomic dysreflexia and how you know, your body reacts weird when you get uncomfortable. Well, if I sleep in a weird position or anything like that, I would start to sweat, but I'm still cold all the time. And what's sweating designed to do? It's designed to cool down your body. So I would start freezing even more. I would get these headaches that every time my heart beat, it hurt. I couldn't talk because it hurt so bad. And my muscle spasms started looking a little bit different. So, my legs just shake sometimes. Sometimes, my abs contract, my legs kick forward. It's the weirdest thing. <laughs> and so, I can laugh about those times. But, the fact of the matter was, I still didn't have control of my body. So, I'm still in the road of recovery. So I start going to outpatient rehab, and these are the things that I do there. I never made it, but I know I did. So, you mentioned body weight training. Basically what's happening is, I'm in harness, and there's trainers who move my legs. Again, the idea is that with neuroplasticity, my body will remember these motions and remake some of those connections. It also helps to be upright. Blood pressure and things like that, also spasticity. I feel a lot of that, and it feels exactly like what it is, running on a treadmill. I try to do push-ups and things, <laughs> and I struggle. You want to see the balance exercises? As you can tell, it's getting a little bit better. Still trying to play. Growing is already hard. Imagine if you can't use your legs anymore. All upper body. Work on wheelchair skills, which I celebrated pretty hard. This is me with electrodes on, and I can't push myself up in parallel bars. But I still don't have control of my body, right? So I was like, let's try all the things. Whatever there is that will make my body better, let's do all of it. I want to do it. So I started going to massage. Uh, I started getting cupping, acupuncture. I went to a chiropractor. And I'm like, let's even get into the energy healing. Let's go to Reiki. Let's get craniosacral therapy and see if anything helps. And, you know, I started noticing some changes. But again, I'm stuck in a wheelchair. So I started reading scientific studies, looking up supplements and things to take. Then I went down this path of 
constantly reading studies. Okay, this worked for these people. We're doing stem cell therapy over here. Using this drug over here, why aren't they doing this for me? And I read 47 studies in one night for a total of about 300 studies. And I realized something was wrong. What is happening with my mind? I'm freaking out about the situation. I go through a series of mental spirals and emotional roller coasters. Why can't they fix me? Why can't anybody fix me? What if I'm like this forever? I felt like I was back on the porch again when I was a little kid. I'm getting on social media and I'm watching all my friends have fun. I'm seeing all these things that I'm missing out on. I felt stuck. I went back to that question. What did I do? Why did this happen to me? Will I ever recover? Will I be able to run with my kids? Will my wife still love me? Will I walk? What if I don't? Is life still worth it? And I'll be honest with you guys, at one point I made the decision that it wasn't. If I can't have fun, if I can't spend time with my friends, if I can't do the things I enjoy doing, it's not worth living, right? It's a firm decision. So I said, okay, if that's the decision I'm gonna make, I need to really bet this out, right? So I started exploring. Someone once said to me that every problem that you'll ever face, someone's faced it. And it's probably in a book. So that's what I turned to. I turned to books. I started reading everything. And uh, there's one book in particular that really struck a chord with me. It's called Man's Search for Meaning. Without going into it too much, uh, this is essentially the premise. That when we're no longer able to change the situation, we're challenged to change ourselves. And there are two quotes that stuck out to me. One is, but I also told them that in spite of this, I had no intention of losing hope and giving up. For no man knew what the future would bring, much less the next hour. Even if we could not expect any sensational military events in the next few days, who knew better than we, with our experience of camps, how great chances sometimes opened up quite suddenly, at least for the individual. Okay. Another one. Even if things only take such a good turn in one of a thousand cases, who can guarantee that in your case it will not happen one day, sooner or later? But in the first place, you have to live to see the day on which it may happen. So you have to survive in order to see that day dawn. And from now on, the responsibility for survival does not leave you. I thought to myself, why not me? What if it is a one in a million chance? I mean, heck. When it comes to spinal cord injury, 54 out of 1 million people get it. That's a 0.0054% chance of it happening to you. So I won the lottery there already. Why not the good lottery? <laughs> you know? So I started asking myself a number of questions. But again, what is my meaning? What makes me happy? What's good about this situation? There's a lot, actually, when I look into it. I'm alive, and I have my mind. I saw a lot of people when I was in the hospital who didn't have their mind. It was very scary. My relationship with my wife is unbelievable. It's changed in a major way. We're closer than ever. 
spend a lot of time with my family now. My friends, and these are like dudes, like guys, like who have this tough macho, I don't know, facade about them, if you will. We say I love you now all the time. We love each other. So I think they realize, man, you could have been gone. One of us can be gone. So we need to let each other know while we're here that we love each other. I've been having deeper than the weather conversations with people. People have been telling me about deep pain that they've been going through. Learned a lot. And let me tell you, the support of this company is unbelievable. I typically, over the lifetime of someone with a spinal cord injury, at uh, my level, you'll spend about $3.2 million, with the majority of it coming in your first year. That's devastation for a lot of people. I don't know about you guys, but I don't have $400,000 just sitting around. If I did, I'd probably be doing something really cool. <laughs> yeah. But I've been fortunate enough to work for a company that I didn't have to worry about that because of how great our benefits are. And people notice that. My buddy hit me up. He said, hey, bud, what's good with the Honda Accord? I was looking at pulling the trigger on a Corolla. I won't name the company. <laughs> But I thought I should support Honda for being so good to you. He bought an HRV. I think he's telling everyone to look at Honda because of how great this experience has been, despite how terrible it's been. So, you guys ask me what I'm passionate about. When I look at the positives, I was able to find what I'm passionate about. I'm passionate about my relationship with my wife. Nothing's changed. We still go out, we still have a good time. I'm passionate about spending time with my family. My grandma's just way taller than she used to be. That's about it. Still spend time with my friends. Still like fitness. But instead of trying to bench press 300 pounds, I'm now trying to regain control of my body. It's a new challenge. I still DJ. Uh, my friends and I uh, have a challenge to each other that we have to have a one hour DJ set, because I have other friends that DJ. We have to have a one-hour DJ set made uh, by the holidays, and we're going to spend the holidays with each other, playing music for each other. And you know what? They don't all translate well, right? I loved to golf before, and uh, that one was tough. I can't really golf in this condition. But I asked myself, what was it that I liked about golf? I liked the strategy. I liked the you know, game aspect of it. I liked being outside. And so I replaced golf with board games outside on the porch with my wife, um, watching my little nephew learn how to play golf and living vicariously through him and watching the birds and the squirrels in my backyard. So that's how I replaced that one. What it all came down to was choosing my view, right? And I think deep down I knew this. Because as a little kid, when I would be sitting on the porch, I'd be really upset at first. I'd see all the other kids playing. I'd feel like I was missing out. But then I'd look around and I'd be like, Huh, these flowers look cool from close up. I can see the bees bumbling from flower to flower. Man, this tacky green carpet that my grandma has on the porch, that can be a battlefield. And these rails, you know, this can be a jungle for my action figures to climb on. And I found a way to play. And it hurt every single time. I heard the ball get kicked, I heard people giggling. So it became less and less over time. I realize it's the same with this situation. I'm passionate about playing. So play finds a way. And 
my mindset is not completely shifted. I'm not gonna sit here and tell you that every day is easy because it's not. I still cry. But now I have a choice. I'm gonna ask you the same question that I asked myself. Are you complaining about being stuck on the porch? Are you making the most out of it? Thank you. that I can answer for anyone? How many times have you given that speech? Uh, one. <laughs> <laughs> 